high yield issuers obviously are going to have a little bit more difficulty in this kind of environment, not only just because capital is harder to access, but just when they roll over that debt. So when they refinance that debt, it's going to be a lot more expensive as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Bond markets are once again grappling with the specter of higher interest rate increases from the Fed, with high-yield issuers facing the fastest pace of ratings downgrades since early 2020. In today's episode, portfolio managers Winnie Jang, Alfred Lee, and your host Mackenzie Box explore how investors should position their current fixed income exposures. They also discuss the resurgence of Canadian REITs this year as the Bank of Canada pauses its rate hiking cycle for the time being, while also diving into the steepening yield curve inversion and what it portends for the so-called soft and hard landing scenarios for the U.S. and Canadian economies. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome back to our BMO ETFs Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and provide questions and comments to the team each week. I'm today's host, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management, And today I'm joined by Alfred Lee and Winnie Zhang, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you both to Alfred and Winnie for joining me today. Thanks, Mackenzie. Mackenzie. All right, well, let's dive right in. So first, we'll start off with you, Alfred. The U.S. sub-investment grade, or high-yield bonds, are being downgraded at the fastest pace since 2020. CDX high-yield spreads are still well above average. How much of this is priced in and how would you play high yield bonds in the current environment? It's a good question, Mackenzie. I think, you know, when you look at the downgrades in the high yield market right now, uh, certainly we are seeing um, a fair degree of um, downgrades. So just looking at some analytics, Moody was reporting that they are seeing about 1.3 downgrade per upgrade. S&P is reporting a similar number, a little bit higher. They're reporting a 1.8 ratio, so 1.8 downgrades per upgrade, which is the highest level since um, early 2020, which is the onset of the pandemic. A couple months ago on the podcast, we were saying that if you had any part of the bond market that was going to be sensitive to, you know, higher rates, but not just higher rates, but restrictively high rates, quote unquote, as uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell would say, that's going to put a lot of pressure on the high yield market, right? Um, So, you know, if we backtrack and go to the zero interest rate environment that we saw over the last 10 years or so, um, high yield issuers were a large beneficiary of, you know, zero interest rate policies. And the reason why is because, you know, when you look at, you know, an environment where you have low interest rates, um, investors are going to be forced to stretch for yield. And by stretching for yield, what that means is that they're going to have to go beyond um, areas in which they're comfortable. So things like sub-investment grade, things like high yield emerging market debt. In addition to that, You know, when you look at, you know, zero interest rate policies, there was a lot of demand for high yield uh, bonds just because, you know, as I mentioned before, investors were stretching for yield. So as a result of that, high yield issuers could issue with a tighter credit spread as well. And, you know, not to mention in the low rate environment, 
um, high yield issuers can access capital at a lower rate, which allows them to keep solvent, but not just keep solvent, but also thrive in such an environment as well. So obviously now, you know, an environment where, um, you know, rates have normalized, you know, high yield issuers obviously are going to have a little bit more difficulty in this kind of environment, not only just because capital is harder to access, but just when they roll over that debt. So when they refinance that debt, it's going to be a lot more expensive as well. So, um, you know, right now, when you look at investment grade corporate bonds in the U.S., for example, so if you look at ZIC, which is our midterm U.S. investment grade bond ETF, that's yielding 5.4% right now, right? So it's, you know, from a, from a yield to, to maturity standpoint, we haven't seen those yields in a very long time. Um, so investment grade is out competing high yield at this moment, which, you know, forces high yield spreads to to widen at this point. So the big question, you know, as you mentioned, is are the spreads in the high yield market reflective enough of, you know, the current risk in the high yield market right now? And I would say, you know, the current CDX high yield spreads right now are, are trading at about 450 basis points above treasuries, um, which is much wider than the 280 basis points that we saw, you know, prior to the COVID pandemic. But I would say, you know, it is a little bit tighter than what we would envision at this point, given, you know, the downgrades that we are seeing in the market. And, and I think part of the reason why is because, you know, just looking at new issuance stats this morning, the rolling 12-month average for high-yield issuance is the lowest since uh, 2009. We did see Uber tap the leverage loan market this morning for $1.75 billion. So it is good to see, see some deal flow happening there. But I think overall, I think why spreads are a little bit tighter is just because, you know, supply, supply or the lack of supply is at least partially mitigating, you know, a little bit lower demand in the high yield market. But in terms of, you know, where spreads are going to go from here, I think it really depends on the path towards higher interest rates from the Fed. Um, I think if the market has it right in terms of, you know, another 100 basis points priced into the market from what the Fed is expected to do, um, then certainly I think spreads can be a little bit wider at this point or can get wider. If the Fed kind of just takes a page from the Bank of Canada and, you know, um, interest rates kind of level off here, I think the secondary effect would be that credit spreads potentially will tighten as uh, refinancing for a lot of these high yield issuers could at least level off at this point. So, um, you know, from a from a go forward perspective, I think, you know, investment grade corporate bonds from a risk adjusted perspective, definitely more attractive. But I think as a strategic allocation in a portfolio, um, high yield definitely makes sense if you are, you know, a, a long term investor, because I think if you're looking at a 450 basis point credit spread, I don't think that's sustainable over the long term. Um, so if you have to play it, I think an ETF is the best way to play it. Um, we have ZHY and ZJK, which is our um, high yield bond ETFs, ZJK being the unhedged version and ZHY being the currency hedge version. So those are good plays because you know, it allows investors to diversify that you know, issuer specific risk away. Um, and we also have ZF, ZFH, which is the uh, floating rate high yield ETF. So this one is uh, composed of a T-bill and a floating rate or sorry, a high yield CDX. So this one is good just because it gives you exposure but at the same time, it's highly liquid because T-bills and that CDX um, is extremely liquid. So, um, you know, as a long-term strategic allocation, I think high yield still makes sense. But from a short-term perspective, I think investment grade is a better place to be. Great. Thanks, Alfred. 
BMO ETFs is proud to launch 10 new tickers with a range of solutions covering fixed income, sector-based covered calls, and inflation solutions. The BMO U.S. Aggregate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZUAG, gives investors access to the broad U.S. market for shorter-duration bonds. Two new covered call funds in energy and healthcare tickers. ZWEN and ZWHC, respectively, are now available for sector-focused investors. For those seeking inflation-fighting funds, the BMO Global Agriculture ETF or BMO U.S. Tips Index ETFs, tickers ZEAT and TIPS, satisfy both equity and bond solutions to rising consumer prices. Visit BMOETFs.ca for more. Next, we'll turn it over to you, Winnie. Uh, with the Bank of Canada rate announcement yesterday, can you walk us through what happened? Was it expected by the market? And what do you see going forward? And then conversely, how does this compare that to what we're hearing and seeing from the Fed? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, yesterday, the Bank of Canada basically left the uh, overnight rate unchanged at 4.5%, which is pretty much broadly expected by the market. Um, the bank continued to pledge to hold the policy rate at its current level as long as the economy continued to cool. While the uh, policymakers are still a little bit concerned about the tightness in the uh, labor market, you know, with wage growth more than you know, double the uh, 2% inflation target, they're well aware that you know, the um, labor market usually is like a uh, lagging indicator, so which means that it could take around 12 to 18 months for the impact of the early rate hike to be fully felt. So overall, the bank hasn't really changed the language uh, from January. Now, if you remember, um, the Bank of Canada was the first major central bank that signaled a pause of the rate hike, uh, putting the eight consecutive uh, rate hiking streak to an end. They also gave a relatively firm uh, but conditional pause message during the January meeting, and uh, that was reiterated in yesterday's communication. The banks still expect inflation to fall to around 3% by uh, middle of the year, given the softness we saw in recent consumer spending data and the slower GDP growth trends. But when you look uh, south of the border, you can tell clear divergence in terms of the near-term uh, monetary policy stance between the two central banks. While the um, Bank of Canada has more of a dovish tilt in their comments, pledging that it'll take an accumulation of evidence of persistent uh, high inflation for them to resume on hiking interest rates. The Fed show more openness, I would say, to uh, higher terminal rates during the latest communication. And during the last couple of meetings, U.S. policymakers agreed that you know, rates would have to move higher in order to curb inflation. And the same message was basically delivered by Powell during his uh, testimony on Tuesday. So now with rate cuts expectation um, being pushed back, the market is now pricing in a 70% chance of a 50 basis point rate hike in the upcoming uh, FOMC meeting, while continue to expect the Bank of Canada to pause. I guess that makes sense. I mean, given the hotter than expected January uh, CPI in the US and the um, CPE also came in on a whopping 5.4% in January. And the slowdown in consumer spending that we saw late last year was largely offset by recent uptake. 
So there are definitely some, I would say, a renewed concern about inflation in the U.S. But, you know, despite um, the stubborn inflation and job data, which may suggest a longer and bumpier path to uh, normalization, I still think policymakers are well aware that rate hikes work with a long and variable lag. I mean, after all, they know the longer the interest rates stay in this high, uh, the greater uh, the risk of a uh, economic recession. And I don't think that's what central bankers want to see. So therefore, I think, you know, going forward, it makes sense to expect the Fed to take a pause and rate hike at some point in uh, 2023, while they continue to monitor macro trends as this inflationary forces work their way through the economy. Great. Thanks, Winnie. Moving back to you, Alfred, after a forgettable year in 2022, Canadian REITs are making a strong comeback with BMO's equal weight REITs index ETF ticker ZRE outperforming the TSX and the equivalent ETFs or ZCN year to date. What have been the major drivers? And given we always hear about the impacts of higher rates on both commercial and residential real estate, can we expect this to continue moving forward? Forgettable year indeed in uh, 2022 for REITs. Um, just looking at REITs, um, you know, as of close yesterday, uh, ZRE, sorry, equal weight REIT ETF was up 7.1% compared to uh, ZCN, which tracks the S&P TSX composite. So that was up 5.5% uh, up until yesterday year to date. Um, so definitely a slight outperformance from the REIT so far year to date. And I think you know, the major reasons and why we're seeing REITs come back at this point is, um, you know, the way I think about it is REITs are essentially the equity market's equivalent of a corporate bond. And, and why I say that is because, you know, there's a portion of REIT valuations that are impacted by interest rates. So there is a duration component. But on top of that, there is a component that's also driven by, you know, the general economic environment as well. So that's called, you know, th that in my opinion is, kind of more of the credit spread component of, you know, REITs. Um, so, so far year to date, I think REITs have been coming back just due to, you know, the market correctly anticipating that the Bank of Canada would pause in interest rate hikes, as, as Winnie noted, um, you know, which they did yesterday. Um, so, you know, with the with the uh, Bank of Canada pausing on interest rates, uh, the secondary effect is how it's going to affect uh, credit conditions. So, I think with you know, the pace at which interest rates were moving up last year, it just created a lot of uncertainty in terms of, you know, general market conditions. And right now, with rates leveling off here, I think the market could essentially get comfortable with um, saying to themselves, you know, this is the new cost of doing business from, from this standpoint. So I think that's going to be good for uh, property prices, both on the commercial and, and residential front. I think it does allow the market uh, to find a footing just in terms of, um, you know, the valuations for REITs, I think that's going to be a positive. Um, so, so far year to date, just when I look at the drivers in the REIT sector, it's mainly been the office REITs and the residential REITs that have been, you know, uh, providing a lift for the sector. All subcomponents have been performing very well, but these two have definitely been the standout. Um, so office REITs, obviously, over the last couple of years have been, you know, there's been a lot of uncertainty in that area just due to, you know, the lockdowns and whatnot. Um, so just a year ago, just thinking back, you know, the office space, um, it was pretty empty. And, and, you know, just anecdotally, when I walk downstairs, it, it definitely feels like, you know, we're almost back to um, a normal environment at this point where, you know, everybody's back to the office. It's almost, you know, office buildings are back back to full occupancy at this point, at least in Toronto. 
Um, we've did we've done a lot of traveling across the country as well, and you know other regions have been slower to get back to normal. But I think you know we are definitely getting there. So I think that's going to be um, definitely beneficial for a lot of the office REIT um, operators. So when I look at the office REIT sub industry, that's up about twelve percent on a total return basis this year. Uh, residential REITs are also coming back as well. Um, residential REITs were you know a strong sub component of the REIT sector throughout COVID, but um, definitely, I think they, year, so far year to date, they've definitely been performing um, well. So with property prices, both in the residential front, you know, and as you mentioned on the commercial front, still pretty lofty in today's environment, even though interest rates have gone up. Uh, the rental market has gone up as a result of that. So when you look at REITs like, you know, Canadian apartment property REITs, you know, names like that have done exceptionally well just because of that rental income. Um, other names like Killiam and Boardwalk have also done pretty well because of those, you know, rental prices going up as well. So I think right now, when you look at REITs, even though they've kind of rallied quite a bit so far year to date, still pretty attractive. I mean, when you consider that they were down quite a bit last year, and when you look at the valuations from at this point, so when I look at the price to funds from operations, uh, so the price to FFO. Uh, ZRE is trading at about an average of 12.9 times uh, right now. Uh, prior to COVID, they were trading at 16.4 times. So despite you know the rally that we've seen year to date, they are still trading pretty attractive. So I think um, you know ZRE is a good way to get exposure to the REITs. Um, also, when you when you consider the net dividend of ZRE, it's about 4.6 percent right now. So I think um, you know Canadian REITs is definitely something to put on the radar at this point. Great. Thanks for that, Alfred. Amid elevated interest rates and market volatility, consider six BMO ETFs yielding over 6%, including the BMO Canadian High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWC, featuring solid historical dividend growth. The BMO Covered Call Canadian Bank's ETF, ticker ZWB, invests solely in Canadian financials, presenting an attractive valuation opportunity. Or the BMO Covered Call Utilities ETF, ticker ZWU, provides exposure to an equal weight portfolio of utilities, telecoms, and pipeline companies. To learn more, visit bmoetfs.ca and search for tickers ZWC, ZWB, and ZWU. Winnie, the last question will turn to you. The yield curve continues to be inverted. Are we just waiting for an upcoming recession or is this a soft landing? Where do you see value in the fixed income market for the remainder of 2023? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question, Mackenzie. So there's certainly a lot of noise in the market right now. And, you know, there's hardly a consensus out there on the near-term direction of our economy. And I think part of that could be attributed to the mixed signal sent by the recent economic data. I mean, you see, on one hand, consumer prices and spending remained overwhelmingly strong. And as mentioned, like, you know, the uh, labor market is still super resilient. And we're looking at an employment rate of at the lowest level in more than five decades. But on the other hand, as you mentioned, the Treasury yield curve is at its most inverted point for decades. And a uh, inverted yield curve usually precedes recessions. We also saw like signs of weakness started to appear in the housing markets and business investment took a hit. 
And as Alfred mentioned earlier, that more recently we saw a flurry of uh, downgrades of junk bond companies by the uh, rating uh, rating agencies. Um, so, like that was the fastest pace since like late 2019, and that's because the high interest rates squeezed um, squeezing out the uh, um, company profit margins. So all these are kind of pointing to a softening uh, economic outlook. But if you take a closer look at the data and sort of cut through the noises created by seasonality and those more volatile components of it, the recent CPI announcement actually indicate things are slowly and steadily trending towards the right direction. While we continue to believe a soft landing is possible and the Fed will do whatever it takes to combat inflation, I also think you know the level of current yield curve inversion actually caps the magnitude of further interest rate hikes. Now, with a potential economic slowdown on the horizon, I still think there's a makes a lot of sense for an investor to be a little bit more defensive in the portfolio. And the great news is that with the current shape of the yield curve, I don't think investors have to venture out to the highest risk area to get a decent yield. We currently recommend investors adding short-term investment-grade credits to the portfolio by owning the uh, BMO Short Corporate Bond Index ETF ticker ZCS. Uh, the ETF posts Canadian investment grade corporate bond ETF with term to maturity of one to five years. I think it's a great opportunity for uh, investors to take advantage of the attractive yield on the short end of the curve. And on top of that, the BMO high quality corporate bond index ETF ticker ZQB is another great alternative for investors who want to be a little bit more conservative uh, and also want to move up that credit curve and uh, take advantage of the decent yield. Uh, ZQB is composed of corporate bonds that are A-rated and above, so it helps to protect investors from some of the higher rated names. So both ZCS and ZQB uh, that I mentioned currently offer a very decent yield of more than 5%. They're all very you know, well-positioned in the current environment, and I strongly believe that they will lead to some really nice return in a uh, short to medium term as we move forward in 2023. Great. Thanks, Winnie. And before we close out for this week, I just want to touch on a few things. So tis the season for taxes. Uh, So I just wanted to highlight um, that we have a great tax section on our ETF dashboard. So under uh, strategy and insights on the ETF dashboard, which is bmoetfs.ca, We highlight everything from annual tax breakdowns for each ETF, links to tax files, uh, an FAQ, um, an article on phantom distributions, really walking through what they are and how they impact you, and just different elements of ETF taxes. Uh, We also highlight some of our other reporting tools like PFIC. Uh, So I just wanted to take a moment to highlight that and encourage everyone to take a look at some of the documents that we do have there. We also uh, posted our tax um, breakdowns for each respective ETF on our website. So if you're looking for any tax information, I would encourage you to go to our dashboard or to our site. And if you have any questions, again, reach out to your ETF specialist and we are happy to walk you through anything. So with that, happy tax season. And thanks again, everyone for uh, sending in questions this week. And a special thank you to Alfred and Winnie for providing some great insights. And with that, I just want to say thank you and have a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Alfred Lee and Winnie Jang for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. 
Today, we heard about the BMO Midterm USIG Corporate Bond Index ETF, ticker ZIC, which invests in a diversified basket of U.S. investment-grade corporate bonds. Our experts also discussed the BMO Floating Rate High Yield ETF, ticker ZFH, which holds a blend of short-duration Canadian federal bonds and U.S. high-yield corporates. And finally, the BMO Equal Weight REITs Index ETF, ticker ZRE, which gives investors diversified exposure to high-quality Canadian real estate income trusts. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.